Welcome to the Future of Growth podcast with Agrify, formerly known as Agrify Live. Here, we'll be exploring all things related to cannabis, ag tech, controlled environment agriculture, vertical farming, cultivation science, industry trends, and more. Informed by science and driven by data, episodes will enlighten our audience through open dialogue with thought leaders, innovators, and industry disruptors who are forging the future of growth. Join our host, David Kessler, Chief Science Officer at Agrify, as he dives into the many facets that cannabis and agriculture have to offer. Stay connected with Agrify by joining us on all platforms at Agrify Corp and by visiting our website, www.agrify.com. Sit tight for another episode of The Future of Growth, coming at you now. worked with U.S. um, farms, and I'm not going to totally knock every single foreign source, um, but unless you know that source very well and you are sure where it's grown, um, a lot is grown in China or Russia, um, unfortunately, and because of that, um, it can make the quality of the CBD the, the range out there is incredible. Um, so because hemp is a bioremediator and it's gonna be pulling all of the things you don't want in your soil out, it can be amazing for areas that need help with soil regeneration and to you know help with the environment, but it's not gonna make amazing hemp. And that's what a lot of foreign growers have done. And it's really, really low quality. There's a ton of biomass being processed to make just a little bit of CBD. And you're gonna be um, extracting a lot of the things that you don't want in there. So I always recommend people to really just try to work with um, American sources. Unless again, if you know someone really personally that's maybe growing it somewhere in Europe, Um, but USA grown is gonna be the safest bet. And then furthermore, you want to make sure that you know how they're processing it um, and how, you know, it's extracted and then ask for lab results. And reading those lab results is a big part of that as well. And I think a lot of people, consumers too, you know, just ask for lab results, but they actually have no idea how to read that. And if they get the lab results, they're like, cool, that's great. And a lot of CBD companies send out really bad lab results and they get away with it. So being a little bit more educated. Definitely need to jump into how to interpret lab results or COAs, certificates of analyses. But I think before we get there, we we need to touch on some of the things you already talked about. With cannabis being a phytoaccumulator, meaning it pulls uh, elements out of the soil, not just, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus, which it uses to grow the plant, but heavy metals and toxins as well. Uh, And because the extraction process is actually a uh, concentration of chemical compounds within the plant, you take those phytoremediated chemicals that are bad in and of themselves, and then you concentrate them into a product that people think is beneficial, uh, like CBD. And because they're unaware of the source, because possibly someone didn't understand how to read a COA, all of a sudden you have CBD products on the market here in the United States that are really not safe. And because the FDA is still kind of figuring out how to deal with CBD-based products, 
there's not a lot of oversight there. And so you really have to know what you're buying, right? If you can't trust the company the way, you know, uh, literally every review of The Healing Rose is uh, four and a half to five stars, but everyone talks about your quality, your consistency, your care to the formulation and using those quality ingredients, sourcing quality, domestically grown product that you know the farmers that you have read the COAs for and clearly can interpret, um, yes. <laughs> is the source of a high quality product. Mm -hmm. and, and also into that same vein is making sure all of the other ingredients you're choosing, all the carrier oils, the essential oils all come with sheets that prove it's certified organic as well as, mm -hmm. um, I think it's MDS, I think it's MDS sheets. Um, it's kind of like those safety sheets that SDS prove sheets, that. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm not the lab person. I'm the marketing oh, person good. more so. But um, yeah, just making sure that you work with really high quality su suppliers because there are a lot of sketchy ingredients on Amazon and people get desperate. And if you're not, you know, making sure you're actually, you know, looking into the background of your suppliers, you can get really hustled on expired, you know, <laughs> carrier oils or essential oils and you do not want people putting that in their skin or in their body right uh, i was always taught the phrase more for cooking than for cannabis but oils spoil anything that has a high <laughs> oil content will over time spoil it needs mm -hmm. to be stored correctly at the right temperature and uh, humidity and preferably without light to degrade the product but overall the storage of oil-based products is a little bit more complicated and they do have a shelf life now, before we jump into the formulation and we talk about some of these ingredients, Laura, because I'm thrilled. I honestly, I don't know a lot about topical formulation, so I'm thrilled to be able to pick your brain. But I think that for our listeners, we need to touch on a little bit of vocabulary. I know that THR, uh, the Healing Rose, uses almost exclusively full spectrum CBD. And I'd like to talk about the difference between isolate, distillate, and full spectrum. Maybe you could enlighten our listeners just a little bit, because those three products have a huge impact on the efficacy, in my mind, of the product created, and really go to what product you're trying to create if you're incorporating one of those particular ingredients. So maybe you can enlighten us. Yeah, so we can start even with just isolate since that's like really the most simplest um, form of it. And that's pretty much completely isolated CBD. It comes in powdered form. Um, it's anywhere from like 99 or 98% to like 99.99% um, CBD. And that I think is definitely being phased out um, as consumers are more educated on not choosing those types of products. And it's not to knock companies that do have certain products because they do fill a certain need. It's odorless, it's tasteless. Um, it can be effective too for animals and things like that. Um, but ideally, you really don't want to choose a product that has isolate. It's not going to have any terpenes, it's not going to have any other cannabinoids. You're not going to get any kind of entourage effect. Um, and it also can be made from any kind of quality CBD, really. I mean, they strip it down and they process it, you know, down to the molecule of the CBD molecule. So, it, it's definitely something that's kind of buyer beware on isolate products. Um, a step before that in the processing is distillate. Distillate um, can be broad spectrum or full spectrum, but most commonly you really see it out there with broad spectrum. And the broad spectrum means that the extract has been formulated, or sorry, processed down to have zero THC in there. Um, we actually use that in one tincture product because it can be, 
just more effective for people um, that might have THC uh, uh, sensitivities, or if you have drug testing for your job or, you know, for whatever, um, even a little bit of THC in a full spectrum product that you're consuming can trigger a drug test. So that's kind of why we go with the, um, the broad spectrum on that product. And it also tastes really delicious because the terpenes um, from the product are added back in They're from the hemp product. Um, and it's just like really delicious. Um, and then full spectrum, you're gonna get less processed and you're gonna get way more cannabinoids in there. You're gonna get a delicious terpene profile. It can be quite hempy. Um, so it can be intense if people are using a full spectrum that's a high dosage because it's, it can be intense to eat. But we use that in all of our topical products because when it comes to topical products, I don't see any reason other than to use a full spectrum product. Um, you're going to get the most cannabinoids. It's going to be the most effective. It's going to be the most medicinal and closest to the plant. And I'm all about um, whole plant medicine as much as possible. We can't go full whole plant extracts because the products end up really dark and when you get the plant materials and stuff like that in there, consumers don't like smelling like cannabis. Um, so we kind of find that sweet ground with the full spectrum extract that's still beautiful and golden um, and really effective for people. Beautiful. And so everyone understands cannabis produces now the research is showing over 500 different chemical compounds and a full spectrum extract is a concentration of all of those compounds, the cannabinoids, yes. the terpenes, the flavonoids. And because of that, you get all of the benefit of those phytochemicals uh, medicinally or, or uh, topically, however you want to think about it. And the interaction of those chemical compounds, which we don't even fully understand, but we know enough to know that it is vital to maximizing the efficacy of cannabis-based medicines. And so with isolate or even distillate, while you get the impact from the primary cannabinoid source, the CBD in this case, you really don't get any of those additional benefits from the other chemical compounds that either enhance the CBD or in and of their own right provide medical benefits. And so sourcing full spectrum provides you with what? The, the ability to produce the highest quality products that are going to have the most medicinal uh, efficacy for your, your customers. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when it comes to topicals, you want to have all of those molecules working together in conjunction with the plants that you're going to combine in there. And I think really being mindful of choosing lots of plants to have like this unison effect um, with the terpenes and with the other cannabinoids. It's just like such a beautiful thing. That's awesome. And there isn't a lot of research already on the entourage effect and how the different chemical compounds in cannabis uh, work with one another, let alone on how these very well uh, documented ethnobotanicals from Eastern and Western medicine can be incorporated in, in their own right, enhance uh, the efficacy of CBD. So really excited to see where the research goes. Um, when it comes to the formulation, uh, Laura, Tell me this. I mean, obviously, you're, you're going to choose whether you're using an isolate, a distillate, or a full spectrum. And in your case, it's always either a full spectrum or maybe a distillate in a very uh, unique or specific scenario. But what is it you're mixing it with, right? Like if someone were to just take a full spectrum oil and rub it on their skin, is that going to give them any efficacy? And is that going to do anything other than make them sticky? 
<laughs> I have tried that um, just to feel like I'm going to rub a bunch of full spectrum and see if it helps my back. But no, you do not want to do that. Um, the, the great thing about cannabis is it's fat soluble or cannabinoids. Um, yes, you can make it water soluble, but that's not something that I, I don't deal with water soluble cannabinoids. Um, so to make it simple, you just need a carrier oil. We actually sell extracts on our website and give like really basic formulations if people want to make like a tincture at home or like a really basic massage oil. Um, but the great thing is you can kind of choose what you want and you can choose whatever base you want to infuse the oil into um, just on low heat combine. Um, yeah, so the great thing about topicals is it can be so many different things like any skincare product, body care product, you know, obviously with tinctures is, is more, a little more basic, but yeah, it's it, the, the possibilities are really endless. So if we were going to make a topical and just kind of walk through a very high level. Can you walk us through the process of, you know, making a topical? Yeah, so um, I've done, when I first started in 2017, I signed up for like a ton of classes to teach this exact topic so I could really master my craft. Um, so, I mean, to make it really simple, if you were to have like, um, let's see, a coconut oil, beeswax, mm -hmm. olive oil, which is a really common three things that you can make a, a solve with. Um, you would be melting down the coconut oil, um, then you would be adding the olive oil to get it nice incorporated, nice and warm. Um, you're going to melt in your beeswax, and, which is if you have a hot plate with a, a spinner, it's probably one of the coolest mm -hmm. things that you can, you don't really get sick of it because it's just so fun to watch it spin and melt. Um, we have some videos of that on our, our Facebook. It's fun. Definitely um, familiar with the magnetic spinners, but more from chemistry labs than yeah. uh, formulations, but absolutely. So the, the hot plate warms the oils. The spinner mm -hmm. essentially is a magnet that uh, under the hot plate is, is uh, spun with a magnetic motor. Yep. And so you have a device that can heat this liquid mixture of oils and can uh, keep it at a particular temperature. And, and why are you warming it? Is it just to melt it or are we decarboxylating the uh, CBD So eventually? the CBD is not in there yet. Yeah, so you okay. just wanna get everything, all, all the other ingredients really well incorporated. Um, and then right at the end is where before, before you turn off the heats where you're gonna incorporate the CBD and then you're gonna homogenize it. Um, that's really obviously dependent on how much is in there. Um, you're gonna homogenize it well, turn it off the heat, pull it and then you're going to add like any essential oils and things like that and then uh, or turn off the heat and then continue to have it stir while you add the essential oils because um, you don't want to really add any essential oils because they're so volatile um, mm -hmm. on heat so yeah and then so, you just simply bottle it, it it's pretty simple like that it's, it's great amazing so you you mentioned essential oils and i know that a lot of people you know i myself i like tea tree oil for some of the topicals is a, a favorite eucalyptus oil is one i keep mm. um but other people have also used terpenes which which have a thinning capability but the problem is is twofold uh, one where are those terpenes sourced and two do they provide the uh the same effect as the other, you know, essential oils in terms of uh, giving the product their unique uh, effect or aromas. Right. So I've never had any interest in adding terpenes. I've had so many terpene salesmen trying to sell me on why I should be adding like beta carophylline or myrcene to my formulas. Um, but I don't believe in like isolated terpenes. Terpenes being as effective as, you know, going the either essential oil route or using, there are now companies creating cannabis terpenes mm -hmm. and hemp terpenes right from the flower. So if you were going to 
do single origin source and get cannabis terpenes, I think that could be a really fun thing to work with. But again, people don't like smelling like cannabis. The average consumer and the average consumer for CBD products is usually like an older woman. And like the average, it's just how it is, doesn't want to smell like cannabis walking around. Unfortunately, as much as I would think it'd be cool, I'd be like, yeah, it's like weed. Like, why not? Um, most consumers don't. So it's like, it's, it's tricky. So that's why, why essential oils can fill that nice um, gap. But unfortunately, there's a lot of ske- uh, really sketchy essential oils out there, um, diluted and adulterated. Um, so I really encourage people if they're working with them to source them carefully because it can also get sketchy, just like terpenes. Absolutely. I mean, understand that anytime you're taking a plant and you're concentrating its essence, whether that's cannabinoids or terpenes or another chemical compound found in the plant, um, there's lots of different ways to do it. And uh, some of the less expensive ways are often uh, less expensive because they produce a lower quality product, a, a less safe product. And I know, you know, we, we touched on terpenes for a minute. Terpenes are what give cannabis and hemp those amazing variable smells and flavors. But understand that there are two markets for cannabis terpenes. One is exogenous and one is endogenous. And the endogenous terpenes are derived from hemp and cannabis itself uh, through fractional distillation or, or part of the uh, distillation or extraction process, they're separated out, and they can either be added back into the original product or used in others. Um, Whereas endogenous, I'm sorry, exogenous terpenes are derived from other plants and uh, outside of the cannabinacea family. So you might have lemonine uh, produced from lemon trees, which is a very normal uh, product. And, And it's used as a solvent, it's used as a cleaning chemical, but if it's a low grade, uh, terpene extraction for lemonine, you do not want to put that in a topical. You do not want that as a, a medicinal product. I mean, literally, it's used to strip oil off of floors. As in pine saw, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not yeah. your best, not your best choice. Um, how do you, we're getting a question from one of our listeners. When it comes to choosing essential oils, how do you choose the right oil for a particular product? Yeah, so in the beginning, I kind of dove into that world of essential oils, and I had a pretty extensive spreadsheet myself in terms of the effect of every single essential oil um, and what's been recorded. I also cross-checked all of those effects because you know some sources can be a little bit sketchier. I also didn't use Google for those answers. I used actual books, um, <laughs> which... Opinions matter less than facts is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I had studied in the beginning um, at Formula Botanica, which is an online skincare school out of the UK. So they just had amazing sources for reliable books to do that type of research. Um, And then I would think about the branding behind the certain product that I wanted. Um, And then I would only really choose essential oils, at least most of them, at least like 75, 80% of that formula that are going to be effective or like inflammation or um, analgesic. And that's really what we focus on in our products is really trying to help people heal different body parts. Um, so that kind of always made sense. And then, you know, that last 20, 25%, maybe you add something that makes it smell really good. Um, and always being really careful with safety warnings and not using essential oils that are gonna give people issues or um, there's a lot of just sketchy essential oils out there that you wouldn't even wanna put on your skin. So just being really careful about um, what we're going to be just taking it as like a really grave responsibility that 
so many people are going to be using these products and I need to be a hundred percent on my research. So that's well, always important. When I started looking at essential oils, it wasn't even related to extraction or, or topical formulation. I was so surprised at how little of an essential oil one would add to a mixture and still give it that aroma, that effect, but high amounts would be a, a pretty good skin irritant in most of these products. So learning those ratios probably takes a lot of time when you come to that formulation step. Yeah, and just being, we always err on the side of caution and you always wanna weigh your formulations if you're doing essential oils. Do not ever count drops. You're not gonna say I'm doing four <laughs> drops of this and three drops of this because the drops change or your eye misses one of the drops. It's never gonna be consistent and it could not be safe too. It could be an irritant. Um, and I recommend for essential oils, really not looking over even 1.5% at the most. And if it's going on the face, less than 1%. Um, mm. And it, less is more when it becomes when it comes to that. And you don't want someone yeah. to say, oh, this is just overpowering. I don't want to use this. That's the last thing you want a consumer to say. Absolutely. You want them to enjoy the aroma, not to uh, offend everyone within a 20-foot radius. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So... You're, you're making products. We, we've decided on the particular topical. We've mixed up our carriers. Uh, it comes time to choose the full spectrum uh, CBD. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Do you look yes. at a particular color, a consistency? You already mentioned a COA, and, and I'd love for you to kind of dive in there, but let's start at the very beginning. I mean, what does this stuff look like, and, and what does it feel like, and what qualities do you look for in a higher quality CBD full-spectrum product? Yeah, sure. So I've seen lots of various qualities of full-spectrum. It can really be all over the place. Um, personally, I would recommend looking for like a honey consistency. I really enjoy CO2 extracted um cbd oil i think it, it's beautiful it works really nice I, we have so many customers say our products work better than you know the dozens and dozens or whatever that, they, that they've tried and i really think a lot of that is because we use a co2 extract um currently it's at about i think around 53 percent and i really like being in that range for cbd um i think the higher you get the more you're stripping out the fats and the flavonoids um and you're going to be affecting the quality and I've been, we've been working with the same farm for over two years. Um, so I'm not someone who switches around suppliers. I'm super loyal to the farm that we work with. Um, but I've definitely shopped around and looked for things, especially locally, because I really want to work locally with a farmer. The only problem is that most people have hot oil right now, um, because the fact that when you concentrate an oil down, the 0.3% THC that was in the hemp flower is now going to be well above 1% THC. And I can't legally buy that from the processor. They can dilute it down into products. Um, fine. But I legally can't purchase that from them. And a lot of people break that rule and cross state lines with hot oil, but um, we use hundred percent compliant oil. So we're like right below that 0.3% THC on our full spectrum. And that can only be achieved uh, through remediation. Um, so they do that in their lab. I think it's a like chromatography technology that they use to strip the THC um, through yeah. the boiling point. Yeah, HPC. So they do that. Um, and that's how we're able to use that oil. But it's a huge problem in the industry, especially for smaller farmers and processors right now who don't have that technology. 
And you're on uh, very involved with the hemp industry and an advocate for them. And I know that uh, some new legislation came down that kind of is discussing changing the way the government views the THC content, essentially when it's determined in the process that it's hot. And the new guidance is essentially saying it's moving a step earlier, which is going to create a lot of hot product that that normally would just be remediated into a proper consistency. But part of a concentration of any product is that it is going to increase uh, the overall amount. And and so we're going to start seeing if these guidelines are adopted, uh, a lot more fails, uh, probably a, a spike in CBD prices. Do you think so? Yeah, I mean, the, the market for wholesale CBD and for farmers has crashed so quickly. Um, I mean, farmers are seeing like 10% of what they were able to get even like, you know, mm -hmm. a year or two ago. Um, so I definitely think the, the market needs to bounce back. And I think that's a, that's a good call by you that that could definitely cause that because there's going to be a shortage of compliant hemp and the people that yeah. have it are going to be able to raise pricing. And yeah, I mean, I've seen this as an issue the whole time. It's been a gray area and I've always never gone down that path. Um, if you go on our website, you can look at every single COA for like, I think the last two years of our starting extract. I wouldn't be able to share that if I used starting extract that was, you know, hot. And or if Absolutely. I was diluting into an oil or a lot of people purchase their extracts already diluted into like olive oil or something like that. And that's never something I ever entertained. I not that I don't trust people, but like, I don't trust when that oil has an shelf life that you're sending it to me in. I don't trust where it is. I don't trust that it's organic. No offense, but I like to have Doesn't as much control. The best now. chef <laughs> always want the raw ingredients and to combine them themselves. Why would I leave something yeah. so critical to the hands of someone that I have no control over, no insight into? Uh, and, and like you said, not that there are, you know, disreputable people out there, but let's all agree there are disreputable people out there uh, in any industry looking to make yeah. a quick buck. Now, you also mentioned that CBD prices have really crashed, as you described it. And I, I think that's because a lot of people were so excited about CBD. They were looking for uh, a different crop to grow, corn and soybean, you know, definitely not as valuable as CBD was. Um, but what's happening now is people are chasing the hot can uh, cannabinoids. You know, last year with CBD, this year it's really been CBG, and you're seeing a lot of people grow CBG-specific flour that produces upwards of 10% raw CBG uh, yeah. on the chemical foot uh, fingerprint in, in the chemical testing. So, you know, do you make any CBG products, and do you see this trend of, you know, jumping to the next hot cannabinoid continuing? Yeah, so we have some products in the works right now, not currently available, um, but I'm, I am excited about the possibility. I am also excited to see all the different ratios that companies are coming out with, um, and I'm watching them closely to see how customers are experiencing those different cannabinoids and the different ratios. And I think, yes, that's absolutely the future. I think people are going to keep hopping on um, trying to be that next cannabinoid on the market. I mean, Mary's Medicinals out in Colorado has been doing CBC formulas for several years. So there are mm -hmm. companies that have done it. Um, I think with the, you know, genetics getting where they are, where we're able to produce CBG strains, you know, over 10% CBG that wasn't available, you know, years ago. So no, no, um, that's a new it's, development. It's, it's that's so crazy only how quickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're hundreds of years behind, or at least a hundred years behind uh, modern agricultural crops when it comes to breeding. And so 
now that we're starting to be able to grow hemp freely across the country, the available research universities can actually work with hemp. So we're starting to get scientific studies that are just fascinating. Looking at the evolution of terpenes, one that I saw this week, across the life cycle of the plant. And what they were finding was that sesquiterpenes and monoterpenes, different type of terpenoids, uh, based on a, a variation in the number of chemical rings they have, have different properties of maturation in the plant. And so if you're growing hemp and you're after uh, monoterpenes, then the longer that plant is allowed to flower, the monoterpene level generally trends upward. Whereas with sesquiterpenes, once you have flower formation and it's to a sufficient amount of biomass, it's a very consistent and uniform level of production throughout the life cycle. So leaving the plant to harvest longer isn't going to increase those monoterpenes, but it will, I'm sorry, it won't increase those sesquiterpenes, but it will increase the monos. And so this kind of research just wasn't even available six months ago. No one had done it. So very excited to see where this lands. And, and, and you know, I'd like I mean, to point out, Oh, sorry Please. to interrupt you, but like no, cannabinoid profiles are kind of just like that tip of the iceberg, right? We're only looking at like 10 to 12 cannabinoids on the lab result that are potentially in that full spectrum, but really what's below the surface? If there's a potential of 500 different cannabinoids, some of those aren't, can't be achieved with the plant, some are, you know, in the lab, but like, you know, what's really going it's, on it's there, amazing. we don't even know. We don't even really know. Well, let's know. talk about what we do know. And what we know is when you buy a cannabis-derived concentrate, it should have a COA, a certificate of analysis. And this is a third party, hopefully reviewed, uh, laboratory that has examined the product and tells us what's in it, right? And we mentioned that there can be 500 different chemical compounds. There's like almost 200 cannabinoids, over 150 terpenes and flavonoids and all sorts of other things. But what does a COOEA tell us, Laura, and what do you specifically look for? Sure. So when we say six panel, um, that kind of just means that there's six different tests going on that you should be looking for. Um, you, can, you should be able to get this on the starting extract. If you're getting hemp flour, you should be able to get this on the starting hemp flour. Um, but you're going to be looking for your cannabinoid and um, your cannabinoid profile and potency. You're going to be looking for your elemental analysis. And if they're not going to do the elemental analysis, it, that's at least doing heavy metals. Elemental takes it the next step and does um, nutrient and soil testing all in one. So Proverity Labs offers that, which we do and we love. Um, you're going to get, look for the residual solvents, which is the um, VOCs, the volatile organic compounds, terpene profiles, um, pesticide analysis, and then also microbiological contaminants. So you're going to want to- Okay, I got to pause you because we're going to yeah, have yeah, to ask you to lots of questions <laughs> about those. Yeah. Okay, so I understand the cannabinoid profile. Um, and I understand why they would look for an elemental analysis because of the phytoaccumulation properties of the cannabis plant. They're making sure you're not pulling up a bunch of mercury, which then is concentrated onto people's skin. Um, when it comes to the pesticides, again, the concentration process of extraction would make even pesticides applied at a very dilute level somewhat dangerous. And so do you look for a zero level? Is there an acceptable level of pesticide for you? Absolutely none. Honestly, okay, I don't accept so even just a little. Zero is thing. the only acceptable level. No. Yeah. That's never happened. I mean, I've seen lab results that have had it and I'm like, red alert, red alert, red alert. What's going on here? <laughs> um, and if you grow hemp properly, you shouldn't have to use 
pesticides if you know you're doing it smartly so um and proverity is always updating their list of tested pesticides and a lot of different labs you know of course there's all pesticides that aren't going to be tested for but they test for all the common ones so that's important that's it and, and as cannabis is a new agricultural crop uh hemp uh, specifically as an agricultural commodity they're trying to figure out what pesticides need to and can be applied to cannabis. As Laura, you pointed out, it's normally a very vigorous and hardy plant that isn't too susceptible uh, when it's in open elements, unlike when it's being cultivated in a closed environment without natural predation. Uh, things like spider mites or white flies can get out of control, but in an open field, generally just rain, wind uh, are naturally going to keep the damage levels down. It doesn't mean that you can't get a plague of locusts come through and wipe out a crop, but uh, ultimately I think that um, what we're trying to do is find safe pesticides that can yeah. be used. Uh, I'm a big fan of entomopathogenic or bacterial and fungal-based pesticides. They're very targeted for particular pests. They mm -hmm. don't damage uh, other environments uh, or ecosystems like the honeybees. And so you do want to be very careful with pest selection. But just to get on my cultivator hat for a minute, yeah. <laughs> you know, part of the challenge is that we when we approve a pesticide, when the uh, FDA goes and approves a pesticide, they're on a registered EPA list uh, and they have to go through rigorous testing. And that testing has to be uh, on different crops and it is determined by how that agricultural commodity is used, if it's eaten, if it's turned into a salve, because the way that agricultural crop is used goes to the level of danger when it gets concentrated uh, a pesticide is concentrated. So right now we're just kind of figuring out what we can and can't use. The problem is it's a very expensive testing. So if a pesticide maker wants it approved for a new crop, it's you know often a one to two year process and hundreds of thousands of dollars in testing. Uh, and, and so we're not seeing a lot of that. So what we're left with is very natural, very organic, what we call GRAS or generally regarded as safe mm -hmm. chemicals that we can apply. But when you're formulating products and you're looking at these concentrated chemicals, I, I love that your answer is there is no acceptable amount because there, there just isn't. Um, and while we're on the subject, I just want to say one thing. Right now, we're having horrible wildfires out in the Pacific Northwest and throughout California. And to all those adversely affected, I'm so sorry. Our, our sympathies go out to you because I know there are so many wonderful farmers uh, hemp and cannabis that are being affected. And this is going to have a huge impact on this entire year's U.S. cannabis and hemp markets. And further, we had a, a crazy early frost, actually a snowstorm here in Colorado uh, on September like 3rd. And uh, with 6 to 12 inches of snow up in some of these ranges, a lot of the hemp farms were really, really decimated. So uh, to all of those affected by the fires and the, uh, shall we call it, uh, global warming weather effects, you know, our, our heart goes out to you. And if there's anything we can do, please let us know. But um, I think that it is good to be reminded that a lot of the hemp producers are still small family farms. This hasn't turned into uh, a mega crop that is, is done by some multinational conglomerate. Uh, these are individual families, co-ops that are affected. And so just want to thank you all for, for what you do and the products you provide to us and you know wish you well. Um, 
Laura, jumping back to you, I'm, I'm sorry, I just needed to get that out there. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Relate that. Wonderful. Um, so we were talking about the COAs and we were talking about that there's no real allowable amount of uh, pesticides that you would be comfortable with. Let's talk about different types of products that you have formulated that THR offers. Um, you know, everything from the topicals you've discussed, but what other products, what other textures are there that you offer that you can kind of give us some insight into? Yeah, so um, our really our first product line that we had come out with were our solves. Um, and those are like a body bomb, they're waterless. Um, so that can be really, you know, effective for any kind of localized parts of the body. Um, we also do lip balms, which are, probably the best like business card you could hand out. I love handing out lip balms. I've been doing it since day one. That's kind of how I get our name out there and they're really popular. And they're also good for anyone who has like a chapped lip or burned or you know cut or even it helps with people with herpes, um, really cool. And then we do body oils and we have two forms of those. We have like a massage oil and then we also have a roll-on oil, which those are really cool. They're popular in CBD since you can like roll it right onto the spot. Um, good for headaches on the scalp those are really neat. Um, then we also do bath soaks, which kind of sets us apart from a lot of other companies out there that don't do it. Um, really effective for lower half relief. Um, we have people write amazing reviews to how, how the bath soaks help. So they're not just kind of for fun. They're actually can be really healing for people. Um, and then we also have like our CBD oils and extracts, which are kind of like a tincture, um, but they're also, they can be used really in anything. Um, and then lastly, I think that was, yeah, that was it. That's amazing. So you really focus on transdermal products, products that are utilized through the skin. So not very much with edibles, for example. Right. No edibles really that are like edibles. Yeah. Excellent. Now, is there a reason? Do you just, has that not been an area you focused on or is there a, a reason about efficacy that you have selected topicals? Technically, it's not it's not allowed to do make to or edibles here in Massachusetts, and I mean it's always been a gray area. And I always saw topicals as that the compliant area. Um, mm -hmm. And my name's out there, and I'm, I'm a leader in the cannabis space. And I never wanted to set an example by doing a company and operating in a sort of gray area because I could I could do topicals, and um, the FDA has always been really okay with topicals CBD. It's just always not usually very cool with edible. CBD. So yeah. when we have our CBD oil tincture, we're very, we play the line and we don't really um, like market it to be eaten. If you call it sublingual, it's not an edible, right? <laughs> right. And we call it an oil and we, we don't even tell people to eat it. <laughs> That's how we're go. still very careful. <laughs> and, and you need to be, and look, the regulations in all states for both CBD, hemp, and cannabis are, are continuing to evolve. I know that Florida, after a multi-year battle, just was allowed to have cannabis edibles. And, uh, you know, that's a big win for, for Florida. And hopefully mm -hmm. Massachusetts will follow suit, at least with CBD allowing edibles. Um, now, one texture that I've seen from CBD, and I'm a little concerned about, I'll, I'll tell you why, was vape cartridges. Oh, um, yeah. One, vape cartridges have their own challenge, which is that a lot of them are sourced out of China and a lot of the metals used in the ceramic heating uh, are in fact using heavy metals and, and not using the correct 
manufacturing process to ensure the safety because it's it's one thing that when the uh, vape cartridges are at room temperature for them to test and see that there's nothing dangerous but as these heat up the oils are right next to these heating elements and the heavy metals can transfer through so there's a huge risk that some of these lower quality vape cartridges are actually introducing heavy metals. So even if you put in pure, wonderful, full spectrum, completely clean oil, the cartridge is becoming the source of contamination. I know, and we never wanted to get into CBD vaping. Um, I mean, you can use our extracts in like uh, a vaping apparatus, like a Puffco pen that just has like the chamber. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'd recommend anyone to vape anyway. Um, but with cartridges, whether it's cannabis or hemp, like you said, it could be the most, the cleanest oil ever. Um, you should get the lab results once it's sat in a, in the cartridge for like six months, because I think all of them, from what I'm hearing, usually have heavy metals leaching in. As sad yeah. as that is, and as, as convenient as they are, um, I've used cartridges personally as a medical patient with cannabis, but I don't anymore. And I and haven't I for a long time. And I can tell you that there are some agricultural, uh, well, some importers of the higher quality cartridges that have paid for independent testing, just like we look for on our agricultural commodities, mm -hmm. uh, that do document that they're safe. And, and so, you know, not all vape cartridges by any stretch are potential yes, contaminants, course. but the lower quality ones are. And so you should at least ask whether or not these cartridges have been tested for heavy metals. Um, yeah, be very careful as a consumer, for yeah. sure. And, and the reason I originally thought of that was one, the heavy metal concern, Laura, but two, I was at a trade show uh, and I was given two CBD cartridges and one was called Creamsicle and one was called Original. And one of the oils was beautiful, light, honey colored. And, you know, the other one looked kind of like road tar. Oh. <laughs> and, I was just aghast that, you know, whatever they're doing to these, that, that didn't give me a good feeling when I saw that really dark, that muddy color. You could yeah. almost see particulate in the oil, which would be a, a right away a known source, right? Like that's contaminated. If you see stuff floating in your oil, that's a problem. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah I've, just, seen, I've, I've seen that before too and I had someone give us a sample and I'm like I'm not going to try this and they actually said to me but isn't it for the desired effect isn't that all people care about and I was like you're not going to make it in this industry you have no clue no that's if, not what if that was about. the case everyone would drink Everclear and uh you know <laughs> beer, the quickest way liquor, to get drunk, I mean. wine would not exist <laughs> um you know, Laura, this has been so great and so much fun. I am thrilled that you won again that Massachusetts Cannabis Activist of the Year. Um, unfortunately, we are running out of time, but I know you have some really exciting things happening at THR and personally. So can I turn it over to you to kind of talk about some of those new developments? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so you can find The Healing Rose over at www.thehealingroseco.com. Uh, we actually just placed first place in the New England Cannabis, Con New England Cannabis Con Conventions competition um, for best topical in New England, and that's beating out both THC and CBD, CBD topicals. So we're wow. super excited to get the word out there. We're just kind of making that announcement today. Congrats. Um, 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're, I'm so proud of the team. And that's for our lemon ginger solve, which is by far our best selling product. Um, so just Definitely so gonna proud have of to try one of those. Yes, yeah, so I could give you like a little gift bag. I'd love to send oh, some products. That's out wonderful. Yeah, Laura. I'll find Thank your you. address. Um, and we're also doing a, an end of, or I guess, end of summer countdown to fall sale right now. So if you go to the website, you can save 22 percent. Um, to celebrate that fall starts on the 22nd by using code fall22. And if you want to stock up and spend over $200, you can use the code fall30 for 30% off. So yeah, feel free to that check us out. Amazing, Laura. Thank you so much. And we appreciate those discounts to the community and to our listeners. Again, could you repeat what the website is, the, the yes. URL? Yes. Yeah, so uh, it's www.thehealingrose.com co.com so the healing rose co yeah wonderful and before i let you go laura we have one last question from our audience tonight yeah. uh can cbd oil broad spectrum or otherwise be added to beverages and does it add a taste to them yeah so that's a good question um i briefly mentioned water soluble cannabinoids um and that's something if you're going to you get into beverages, you'd probably want to look at. Um, you definitely can combine an oil into a beverage, but that's going to take some careful formulation, whether you're infusing I can attest it. that yeah. I've, I've had root beers that were early on formulated with oils. And let me tell you, it tasted like root beer and then you'd be done and you'd have this cannabis yes. tasting hemp oil all over your tongue. And it was I've hard had it to with get coffee. Yeah, I've had it with coffee. <laughs> I definitely see the value of isolate there. Uh, yes, that's what I was talking about. You want something that's odor, you know, like flavorless, odorless. Yeah. Um, once you start trying to get a decent amount of, you know, CBD in there with the full spectrum, it is quite hempy. And that's why we use that broad spectrum in our, our tincture because it's just not pleasant. Some people, most people, I mean, some people love the full spectrum taste and I love those people that can do that. And I'm, they're very, you know, like plant lovers usually. Um, but the average consumer just doesn't want a whole mouthful of hempy flavorness every no, single time no. they need to use some CBD. So it's, it's a careful balance. I, I can <laughs> tell you that the cannabis brownies that I had in college that tasted like you were licking a plant uh, compared to the edibles of today where they use proper concentrates and really focus on their formulations, we're getting to the point where the edibles for both CBD and THC infused products are pretty delicious and, and you really don't taste a lot of uh, the cannabis in them. What becomes mm -hmm. critical, and this is going to have to be on our next episode, Laura, when we have you back, uh, <laughs> is going to be about the homogenation of the cannabinoid through the products. And it's something we didn't touch on today, but we will uh, in, in a future episode. But the problem is if I have a batch of brownies and I pour in some full spectrum extract and I don't mix it thoroughly, one brownie might have 500 milligrams of CBD and one brownie might have one milligram of CBD and it's in the same batch and is in the same yes. packaging. And we don't want that. We want a very consistent product quality and and maybe we can close with that laura how do you ensure consistency for the products at the healing rose that's a great question um i'll give the quick example with uh my mom she makes edibles at home and i taught her to infuse the oil and one time she forgot and she just added a distillate like after and mixed it into the batch and she learned the hard way that was not <laughs> at all how you you fix that you have to homogenize the base oil um, so we have very strict standard operating procedures here, we call SOPs, um, that make everything kind of foolproof for the, uh, the production team to 
get at it. But through um, the homogenation process, when you're infusing the oil, you want to make sure you are mixing it completely and you're not going to skip that and you you throw you do so through doing the standard operating procedures and realizing how long you should homogenize and at what temperature um i don't want to give the wrong temperature off the top of my head but we have a very exact temperature that we get the products to and then we let it go um, at that temperature for so long using an infrared um, thermometer to make sure we're we're staying at that temperature um, yeah, and you want to make sure you're using lab testing on obviously the starting extract and then at the end as well. And we do a lot of finished product testing um, for the potencies. And if we're off even like, you know, five, six percent either way, we try to tweak it. So we're always trying to get exactly at what's supposed to be in the product because that's really important for consistency as well as making sure each time you're making it, you're getting the same amount of cannabinoids in there. That's it. Consistency is key. And I can't wait to have you back, Laura. It has been so exciting. Again, Laura Beener, president and co-founder of The Healing Rose, cannabis activist and community activist. Thank you for coming on. I'm David Kessler uh, with Agrify. This has been another episode of Agrify Live. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And again, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Future of Growth. We love to hear from our audience. Have a great idea for a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover? Thoughts you want to share? Reach out to media at agrify.com. Don't forget to stay connected with Agrify at Agrify Corp on all platforms and by visiting us at www.agrify.com. See you next time for another episode of The Future of Growth.